give us um, your peace. Lord, we, we seek that. And, um, Lord, we seek for your peace in this time of uncertainty. God, I pray for those in our congregation that are feeling isolated, that are feeling lonely, that um, um, are maybe at home and can't get out. Lord, I pray that you would touch them. I pray that your uh, presence would be especially felt in their lives during this time. God, I pray that um, uh, you would be with the pastor search committee. And uh, Lord, we pray for unity. We pray for guidance. We pray for direction. Um, Lord, we, uh, we pray for the pastor that you have selected that you already know about. And um, Lord, we just pray that you would prepare um, him to um, come join this body in your timing. And Lord, we just thank you for that. And uh, God, I thank you for pastor. And um, Lord, I pray that you would give us the spiritual ears to hear your message today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And kids, you're dismissed. We have quite a few kids, you know. You don't realize it until you see them all hurting out of the auditorium. But it's good to see all of them here at the church. And I want to thank you for being here, too. Continue. I want to just add to what Chris has said about the search committee. Continue to pray um, for them, for strength and guidance and direction. We want the person that God has selected, and that's our, our plea and our prayer. So we need to be praying for them for that. You know, um, over the last three months, I guess, uh, we've been doing a series on grace. And in this series, I've, I told you on numerous occasions that each sermon kind of overlaps, and each sermon sort of adds as, uh, another piece to the puzzle. That when it's all said and done and the puzzle's together, hopefully you'll see a picture of God, a, a way of looking at God that maybe you've never seen before, a fresh appreciation for who God is and what he's done. During this time uh, that we've been talking, we've talked a great deal about our position or our identity in Christ, that those of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ have been put in a position of uh, things that are true about you, whether you realize it or not. These are things that God has done based on your faith that uh, he has done on your behalf. For example, he made us children of his we're part of his family. Nothing can change that. You're part of God's family when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus. You've been redeemed or bought, the Bible tells us. It is as if God bought you out of the slave market of sin. and You've been redeemed, we're told. You've been justified, which means you've been declared righteous. And you stand before God righteous, if whether you are or not, in the way that you live. That's a whole different subject. But God sees you as righteous, and that's your identity, a righteous person. In the eyes of God, sinless, as far as your standing before him, your position there before him. You've been sanctified or set apart. You're special. You're different, whether you realize it or not. And we've talked about numerous other things that go into this whole concept of grace and what God has done on your behalf. Now, some of you have probably been thinking to yourself, now wait a minute, this is good theology and it makes for good preaching, but how does this help me in my everyday life? For example, when I am attacked spiritually and struggle with things in this life, how does all of this, this truth that you're telling me, this things that go into this grace that you're talking about, how does this help me? How does this help me stand against Satan, for example? And today what I want to do is talk to you about that. I want to talk about how grace enables you to stand strong against the evil that is in the world. Now, uh, I guess last year we did a series on Ephesians, I believe it was last year, and we talked about some of the things we're going to talk about today. But again, like I told you before, it's overlapping. Repetition's a good thing. Some of this you will recognize because we've talked about it before. Some of it you won't. I want to begin by asking you this question. It seems kind of like a foolish question for a pastor to be asking a congregation, but here's the question because it's important that you think this through. The question is this. 
do you believe that there's spiritual evil in the world? Do you believe that? Because you see, a lot of us, we say we do, but in the back of our minds, and this is especially true of unbelievers, they think, oh, no, 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 there's no such thing as spiritual evil. People just do bad things and make mistakes, but if you educate them, it'll make society better, and that's the answer to the problems. And so they sort of poo-poo the whole idea of a spiritual entity or spiritual evil in the world. But we as believers know that there is. We know that that is a reality, and we know, and this is important, we know that as time goes on and it draws closer to the end, as the Bible portrays it, that things are going to get worse. And guys, i got to tell you, all you got to do is look around in this world and you see things getting worse. Uh, there are things happening and the boldness and the sinfulness and the depravity of people that has come up just over the last couple of years is just more than I ever thought I would see in my lifetime. But evil has become very bold and very vocal. Here's another question for you. Where does this evil come from? Where did it originate? How did it begin? Because, you see, that's important. It's important that we know why it is that people in this world do the things they do. And it's also important that you and I understand why it is that we sometimes do the things we do. Because evil touches all of our lives. So where did it come from and how did it begin? Now, we know from Scripture that it began with the fall of Satan. Everything was hunky-dory till the archangel of God decided he wanted to be God and he fell. In other words, he rebelled against God. And the Bible says that he took a third of the angels of heaven with him. They were cast out, and these have become what we know today as the demons, the evil in the world. That's what took place. And since that time, and here again, listen, this is important, here again, since that time, Satan and the demonic world has had one objective. The objective is to destroy God's creation. If I can't be God, then I will destroy God. And so the best way that I could do that is destroy what God has created. And all that God has done and the work of God throughout the centuries, Satan has one objective, and that is to destroy it. Now, as you look back through Scripture, you find examples where that has been attempted, where he has tried to do it. For example, it began back with Adam and Eve when Satan caused them to sin against God to destroy God's creation. God thinks they're so special, I'll destroy it. And so he caused them to sin with the understanding that God would take care of them. See, God would destroy them, God would kill them, God would cast them out, whatever God would do. But that's all he had to do, was to get them to do what he had done. And that was what he did. He caused them to fall. Look at the world before the flood. Think back to how bad the world must have been that God would come to the conclusion that I must destroy it all. And he called Adam, oh, I'm sorry, Noah and his family to build the ark and they, he saved them, but he destroyed everybody else. How bad must it have been? But that's what happens when evil is turned loose and with one objective, and that is to destroy what God has created. You can look at the history of Israel. Satan, time after time after time, attacked what God had created. This group of people that God had a plan for, Satan did everything that he could to destroy them. Think with me about the crucifixion. If I can't tempt him and get him to turn against God like I have everybody else, then I will destroy him. And it was Satan that manipulated and orchestrated everything to bring about the death of Christ. And it goes on today. His work has never ceased, and it won't cease until God brings it to a conclusion and destroys him. But this is evil in the world. Now, everything changed at the cross for you and me. And this is what I want you to see today, how the grace of God plays into this world in which we live and how it affects your life here and now today. Let me take you to a verse. It's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Now, here's the verse. And I want to just walk, walk you through this, okay? He's talking about evil spirits and de the demonic world. He says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, notice what he's saying. He's saying that 
all of these spiritual entities and powers and authorities, he's looking at the hierarchy in the evil world, Satan and his henchmen. He said he triumphed over them at the cross and he made a public spectacle of them. How did he make a public spectacle of them at the cross? Because after all, isn't that what Satan worked so diligently to bring about, the death of his son? We know that from all we've got to do is look at the story of Christ. From the time he was a baby, in Herod sought to kill him. Who was behind that? All of his life and the temptation. And finally working through Judas and all of the Jews at that time to bring him to a place of putting him on the cross to kill him. But here was the problem, see. And here's what you need to understand. That it was through the death and Satan fulfilling what he wanted to do in the life of Christ that God basically tricked him. If Satan knew then what he knows today, the last thing he would have wanted to happen is for Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Because you see, it was the death on the cross that brought about everything that is going to bring about the demise of Satan. In other words, it was at the cross that Jesus paid for sin. Everything that Satan accused the people of and was able to get them to do in a rebellion against God and cause them to sin, in which then God in his righteousness was required to react, now he doesn't because he paid it. They're forgiven. They're justified. They're declared righteous. They're set apart. They're holy. And here's the game changer. Because it was through the work on the cross that the Spirit of God came now to live in every one of you that believe in Christ. Because before the cross, there was no indwelling of the Spirit. We know that from Scripture. The Spirit came upon them temporarily and left. There was no indwelling because sin was not paid for yet. But at the cross, when Jesus paid the sin, Satan was made a public spectacle because he was fooled into doing the very thing that he should not have ever done. And that was to put him on the cross. And so we, we see what God has done here. And now that he has filled us with the Spirit, that's the game changer. Let me read you this verse. It's in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, talking about the evil world, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now notice the, the distinction. The one that is in you now. See, as a believer, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the Spirit of God takes up residence in you. You may, not, or you may or may not know that. You may or may not feel that. But it is a reality. He is there. And the Bible is saying it's greater now the one that is in you than the one that is in the world talking about Satan and the demonic world. Now, folks, that's grace. You see, God didn't have to do it this way, but he did. Through the death of his son, he not only provides you with a brand new identity, he empowers you through the Spirit now to take a stand. All that was true before the cross of people and their weaknesses is not true now. We still choose to do the same thing, but we need to understand we're choosing that. We have the power not to. Before the cross, it was a struggle. It really was. This is the reason why I believe that before Noah, <coughs> excuse me, sin just was rampant. Rampant. Because there was no spirit living within them. And the world was just deceived tremendously. Satan, the satanic world is real. And I believe with all my heart that as we draw closer to the end, it is going to move from being behind the scenes and hidden to coming out and being more visible. We know that from Scripture, and I believe it just from looking at the world, like I said before, to see what's bold and what is accepted and what is proclaimed now without any fear, without any shame, it is, is getting worse. And you can only attribute that to the evil that is in the world. Now, I believe, and I, well, I, I know, that every one of us have encountered demonic forces in our lives. We really have. It's not something visible that you can see, although that takes place. You know, I had a professor in, in seminary one time that talked about going to the home of an individual to visit them 
He said, and this person, I had never experienced this before, he said, but this person was, was demonic. And he said, there were things flying off the shelves and things swirling around the room. He said, I've never seen anything like it. I can't explain it. But it was real. You know, my wife has gone to deal with people in their homes to try to list a home or to talk to them about selling a home. And she's talked about the satanic influences within homes that she's observed. Altars to Satan, incense burning, you know, the smell of urine. That seems to be a strong part of satanic worship. Uh, There are real things going on in the world that are visible. I think that as time goes on, that will become more the norm. It's going to become more up in front and visible. But for right now, you and I are no less influenced or at least trying to be influenced by satanic forces because simply because we can't see it doesn't mean that it isn't real. Have you ever had in, popped into your mind a thought and you think to yourself, where did that come from? Because we're told in Scripture that each time that Satan deals with an individual is through their mind. It's through changing their thoughts, their attitudes, their beliefs. And then inadvertently or indirectly causing them to act differently. Now guys, this is important that you understand this because we hear a lot about this today, misunderstanding, uh, at least I think it is. As a believer, you cannot be spiritually possessed. Um... We talk about uh, demon possession, you know, the spirits taking over. A person yields themselves to that. But if the Bible is true, and I believe that it is, where it says that greater is the one that is in you than the one that is in the world, there isn't going to be demon possession of the believer. But there will be tremendous demonic influence in our lives. And it's not visible because if it was, you would reject it. So the Bible says to us that Satan is a liar and the deceiver and he comes to you and me in a spirit world that we have never seen or cannot explain. It's like another dimension. If we could roll back the screen and see what is at play behind or all around us, we would be amazed. That's the spirit world. The heavenly realms, the Bible calls it. Just the spirit world. And there are things that go on in that world that we cannot explain. But the Bible tells us they're true. And the influence upon the believer is real. And it comes through the way you think and what you feel. And it comes out in your actions. But those actions are always your choice. And see, this is what we as believers have got to understand. Stop making excuses. I've told you before that every sin that I've ever committed, I committed because I wanted to. Okay? And we're all deceived, we're all fooled into thinking, well, this will get you something or satisfy something or provide something you don't have. And we all buy into it and we give in in some form or fashion, be it drugs or sex or money or whatever. But it's our choice. So as believers, we can never say, well, the devil made me do it. No, the devil may have tempted you. The devil may have influenced you. The spirits may have been at work in you, but you chose it. And so please understand that. Because this is where we're talking or where we're going with this today. The only thing that Satan has to attack you with now since the cross are lies and deception. Because you see, he cannot get to you physically and force you to do anything. But he can lie to you. He can deceive you. And this is where so many of us as believers are today. There are so many believers that are caught up into drugs and immorality and things they shouldn't be doing that are sinful. You look at them and you wonder if they're even a believer, but yet they have allowed themselves to be tricked into pursuing this and going through with this, and it's like one step of degradation down, 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 until you look around and you think, how did I get here? Because you believed something in your past that was a lie. And you bought into it and you kept going with it. And this is how we are attacked today, those inner voices and so forth. And all you've got to do is you look at the world we live in. A couple of days from now, we're going to go to the polls and vote. Guys, I've got to tell you, in in the, the world that we live in, this country today, I have never seen it this bad. You know? And how do you think it got there? How do you think that this this dramatic 
change of values and, and, and things that are important to us and sense of, of liberty and, and freedom. And how, do, how did that all that change? It didn't happen overnight. It's been under the surface all along. But now sin, evil has become bold. And it's coming out more and more. And it's going to get worse. I believe it will get worse before it gets better. Our fight right now is different. In other words, what we're fighting against, we need to understand. And we need to understand how to fight it. Let me read you this verse, or these couple of verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want you to look at verses 3 and 4. Paul said this, he said, For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. All right, we live in this world. We've got to be in the middle of all this mess. But the way we fight it is not what you think. It's not what is commonly accepted. He said the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds. A stronghold is a habit, basically, where you've gotten into believing something and acting upon it, and now it has become a habit in your life. It has gotten a grip on you that you can't seem to fight or change or get the victory over. It's the way in which you've let a crack into your armor come, in which the demonic forces have gotten in, and one lie after the other you are commonly and constantly believing, and you're acting on it. That's a stronghold. He said, look, we fight, but our weapons are different than what you might be thinking because our weapons are spiritual weapons. Guys, you can't fight this fight, okay? You see, this is what we've got to understand. You can't go out there and do something that's going to, you know, do something to Satan. You can't do it. And what you're going to see in a moment is the only thing that we're called upon to do is to just be able to stand up against it. God doesn't want you out there chasing demons or chasing Satan or seeing Satan behind every tree. Christians get caught up into this mess all the time and they get distracted and off target because we as God's people are told to stand against it. Not attack it, but to stand against it. The way we attack it is by spreading the word of God throughout the world and touching other people's lives. That's the church. And the Bible says that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the church. And it's growing. But you personally, when you think of spiritual warfare, it's not going out looking for demons. Looking for the devil. I hope I never see that rascal. You know, I don't want to. Not afraid of him. I just don't want any part of it. This is why every time we see in Scripture, when it comes to those things, we're told to flee from them. I want to take you through, in the few minutes we have remaining, very quickly, a passage that we've looked at before, like I said, about a year ago, I think. It's Ephesians 6. We're not going to get bogged down into this. I want to breeze through it, so let me take you through this. I want to begin with verse 10. And I just want to walk you through these verses, because in this passage, Paul is going to tell you, about how to fight the fight that I'm talking about. And here's, here's where we're going with this, okay? So listen, because as we go through this again, I want you to just be, um, I want to be, to reiterate this, that what I'm telling you is a result of the grace of God, okay? God didn't say, this is your new identity, good luck, God said, this is your new identity. Now let me tell you how this plays into everyday life and your fight against spiritual warfare and spiritual in the spiritual world that you're fighting against. That's what God wants us to understand. That's what I want you to see today. So this is how I'm tying this whole thing into the subject of grace. Let's begin by looking at Ephesians 6, verse 10. He says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. This is what I meant earlier. You can't fight this fight. You've got to be strong in the power of God that is in you. But you've got to understand it. Verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. A couple of things here, okay? The armor of God is the weaponry. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he said, you're supposed to be able to take your stand whenever it comes. You don't have to worry about an attack. It will always happen. It always will happen. And it talks about here against the devil's schemes. You know what a scheme is? It's a lie. It's a lie. 
to try to trick you. And so you need to understand that if you as a believer are going to stand up against satanic attack in this world, it is going to be in the form of deceit and lying and trying to trick you into believing something that isn't true or trick you into not claiming the things about you that are true. Verse 12 It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And the heavenly realms simply is a reference to the spirit world. It's not talking about heaven. He's talking about the heavenly realms. Um, They're looking at it as the air. They're saying the spirit world out there in the air somewhere. They didn't understand it either. And so they're looking at it as the heavenly realms or the spirit world. You are fighting against that. You may think you're fighting against the liberals in this country. You're not. You're fighting against demonic forces in the heavenly realms. That's what we're fighting against. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that, now watch this, so that, here's the reason why, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. When the day of evil, when the attack comes, in whatever form or fashion it does, God's plan for you, not to go out there and defeat Satan, that's not your job. God says, just be able to stand. When it's all over and he gives up on you like he did on me when he, you know, in the, whenever he took him and took Christ and tempted him, he said, just to be left standing without having given in. That's what God wants from each and every one of us, to be able to stand up in the force of, face of evil and to say, basically, this is what God wants me to do. And after that, Satan has nothing left. If he can't trick you, fool you, or lie to you, then he has no power against you. You've got to believe that. In verse 14, Stand firm then with the belt of of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, in Paul's imagery, he gives you the picture of an armor. We're not getting caught caught up into all the imagery. Uh, You can do that some other time. I want to look at the things that he says are represented by this armor. For example, in in this passage here, this verse, he says there are two things that are part of your weaponry. Number one is truth. Number one is truth. Well, what does that mean? Well, he's saying this, that whenever Satan comes at you with the lies, you've got to always back up and remind yourself of what is true. If you don't know this, then you're going to give in. I cannot understand why we send our kids to college and our kids come back warped. They really do. Why our kids come back not believing things that they've been taught from the beginning. Why they come back just messed up in the way they think and believe. Because they went to college and they were told something that was a lie. And now they've cracked their armor. And they say, whoa, maybe that's true. And then all of a sudden, it flows in. One thing after another. This teacher said this. This student said this. My friend said that. And pretty soon, they've convinced themselves that the lie is true. And all they had to do was know the truth to start with. You see, there's the catch. And so, he says to us, to you and me, if you're going to fight this thing then one of the things you're going to have to know is what truth really is. These are some examples, okay? There's the whole realm of of truth here. But, for example, you know, who man really is? If I'm going to go to college and be told by some liberal professor that man basically is good, just needs to be educated, and everybody will be fine, and that there's no evil, things like that, then I better know what the Bible says. Because the Bible tells me that we're depraved. And that without God intervening, we would all be sunk. So don't tell me man is by nature good. He's not. Who's God? You know, you go to college and you're going to get all kinds of answers to that one. But when I know the truth and I enter in, and I'm willing to stand up for what I believe, 
then I can do that. I can face that. What is salvation? Even if you go to somebody and you're, you're, they're religious, you're going to get an answer to that question that is drastically different from what the Bible says. Most people, you can see it on TV, talk shows, whatever, talk about God in a very generic form. This person is God. Oprah tells you there's all kind of ways to, to God. And the Bible says there's only one. Why do you think the world hates you so much as a believer? Because you're narrow-minded and a bigot. You believe there's only one way to God, and you think it's through Jesus Christ, and that is not loving the world. That's what we're told. You know, all we got to do is stand up for what is truth. When God tells you, now listen to this, guys. When God tells you that I paid for all of your sins, when God tells you that you're my child and nothing can ever change that, when God tells you that you have been declared righteous in my sight, when God tells you that you have a place in heaven that is already set for you and nothing can alter that, then choose to believe that. That's truth. And so when I choose to believe that, then I can, I can face down anything Satan brings my way. When Satan tells me something that's contrary to that, all i got to do is stand up on the truth and say, no, that's not true. So you see, when God says, here's how you fight Satan, he says, you better know the truth because you're going to get lied to and tricked and told that if you sleep around, you'll be a happier person. If you'll take these drugs, you'll really be in a, a plane or a state of mind that nobody else can. You'll be much more productive. Why not enjoy life? Because you only have a few years. Enjoy them now. You better know the truth because the lies will come. The next he says, that this is the next part of our, our arsenal is righteousness. He's talking about the way you live. He's saying to you and me that one of the things that is part of the way in which we deal with Satan is by the life we live. When I choose to step across the line into sinful behavior, I am opening myself up to all kinds of influence. Some of you that have been caught up in drugs and alcohol know that. When you cross that line and it just becomes easier and you go down, 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 then one day you're looking up thinking, how did I ever get here? When you choose to live righteously, make godly choices, then Satan has nothing that he can bring against you. A person who is living for the Lord is not going to believe the lies of Satan. He's going to know firsthand, look, hey, this is my life. I'm much happier here than I would ever be over in the sewer with you. You see? So righteousness. I've got to know the truth, and I, and I choose righteousness each and every day. This is how I stand against Satan. Verse 15, watch this. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, this one's debated. What is he really talking about here? Um, I tend to believe this. I tend to believe that you are committed to sharing with people the gospel that God isn't mad at you anymore. First of all, you've got to believe it. I've told you this numerous times. When, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, hear me. The Bible says you are no, no longer under the wrath of God. You say, well, Pastor, what if I don't quite live up to that? It does not matter. If God chooses to discipline you, that's going to be as a parent to a child out of love. I'm talking about the wrath and the vengeance of God upon the unbelieving world. God says, I'm no longer mad at you. How many times has Satan come to you and has said to you in this still small voice, God hates you. Look at what you did. Look at who you are. Look at the choices that you've made and the mistakes. Look at the people you've hurt. How can anybody love you? And so, he says, you want to fight against that? You take this message, you believe it, and you proclaim it. Of peace with God. Through faith, we have peace with God. God's not mad at you. So don't you dare believe that lie. Don't you dare believe it. 
Here's the next part of this armament that we have, and that is this. In addition to all this, in verse 16, take up the shield of faith in which, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now the imagery is Satan always shooting doubt, uh, accusations, things like that. But the thing that quenches it is to believe what God says. Now guys, this is so important. Again, I don't know why our kids leave churches and they go into colleges and it's like they forget everything they've learned. But you've got to believe what God says. You've got to have faith in it. You've got to have faith that if you do what God has told you, that the result will be what God said it would be. And so, yeah, you're going to have to stand against your friends and against the professors or against your neighbors and against whoever, and you're going to have to take a stand and say, wait a minute, if I make this choice to live righteously before God and trust Him that the result that He has promised will come. He said, yeah, that's it. Rather than doubting and believing the lie that Satan wants you to hear, you've got to believe and to trust Him for great things. When God lays upon your heart to go do something, to go talk to somebody or to teach a class or to step out and do something you've never done before. And Satan whispers in your ear, you can't do that. What will people think if you fail? And by faith you say, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to step out here and trust that God will take me through this. And you do that and great things happen. And Satan leaves because there's nothing that he can do. If he can't get you to believe the lie, then he's, he's helpless. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All right, the helmet of salvation. Um, is he telling you to go get saved? Well, you know, some people think that, but that's not true. He's telling you this. That whenever you face the, the accuser and the liar, you better know for sure that you're saved. You better have that assurance. You see, when you're told enough that you're no good and that God won't love you and that God won't accept you, and who do you think you are? You begin to believe that. And it's a, it is very difficult to get somebody that has been told that all of their lives to believe that Jesus paid for their sin and that God loves them. And that's the hurdle we have to come over, overcome so often in dealing with people is to convince them they're not as bad as they've been told. And God loves them no matter how bad they are. The assurance of salvation is what he's talking about. When I stand in the middle of an attack, a spiritual attack, when everything around me crumbles, when, when everything is changing and when everything is going downhill, so to speak, my assurance that where I am going and what lies ahead is what keeps me stable and grounded here. If I'm going to stand, then I better have that assurance in place. The Word of God. Here's what he says here. The Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted, and let's think about this for a moment, okay? The, the Bible says that he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, and then Satan came to him, and at that point, Satan began the temptation. And Satan began the attack. Hey, look, why are you sitting here starving to death? If you're really God, change those stones into bread. And it's interesting what Jesus did, because most people miss the point here. They say, well, Jesus always answered with Scripture. Well, not really. Here's the difference. Jesus applied Scripture. There's a difference. Sometimes we memorize verses and we think, well, when I'm tempted, I'll just quote Scripture. And that's not what he did. He said, no, now, here's the reason I'm not going to turn those stones into bread, because the Bible says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, my Father has decreed for me to fast and be hungry. If that's what my Father has decreed, the mouth of God, then that's good enough for me. And that's the reason I'm not going to change them and eat. Because I could, but I'm not. He applied Scripture. Okay, if you're really God, he took him up to the pinnacle of the temple. He said, just throw yourself off and the angels will save you and they'll keep you from hurting yourself. He said, but yet, he said, I could, but, but the Bible says that I shouldn't test God. In other words, that would be foolishness and God says, don't do that. 
So I'm not. Took him up to a high place. He said, all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I'll give you. He said, I'll, I'll let you be king and I'll withdraw. And everything is yours if you just worship me. And he said, well, I could. But the Bible, my father, said this, that I should only worship him. And so therefore I can't. Every time Satan tempted... Now here's what you've got to understand. The humanness of Jesus Christ had to experience the pull of that. The Bible says he was tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Boy, he was hungry. Mm. It would have been so good to turn those rocks into bread and just eat them. I'm sure that he thought that too, but he didn't. It would be so easy just to say, okay, get away and give us the world, let the world go and, and not be causing all the trouble you're causing and just make it simple and easy, but no, I can't do that. But yet he thought about it. You know, the allurement had to be there. How many times did Jesus ever want to show off? You know, when you're God, you want to show off a little bit. Why not jump from the temple and let the angels pick me up, you know? But he said, no, I can't do that either. You will always be tempted. And whenever you take the Word of God and you begin to apply it to the temptation... See, you're going to be tempted to shack up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You have to apply Scripture. God said, no. I need to be married. You're going to be tempted to do something, to take something that isn't yours, and you're going to have to say, well, no, God, God said this. And so I'm going to go with what God said. All of the things that you and I are tempted with, you're going to have to back up and say, this is what God said and this is what I'm going to do. And whenever I do that, the Bible says that Satan has to flee because he has nothing else in his arsenal. You see, God took all of his weapons away at the cross. All of the things that he could accuse you of and the ways in which he could scare you and dominate you are gone. And all you and I have left to do now is to stand. And that's what God has told us to do, to stand. Let me read you this verse here, and then we're going to bring it, kind of wind this up. It says in verse 18, he says at the end of this now, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. You and I need to bathe everything that we do in prayer. We need, like Chris said earlier, you know, we're praying for this, this uh, new pastor, wherever he may be, to come in. As I retire, for him to come in. We need to be doing that. Satan is going to give all kinds of reasons why you shouldn't or cause you to think things or cause you to be mad or hurt or frustrated. All the, don't let that happen. You know, take a stand. You and I need to be praying constantly for everybody that they would stand strong in the face of the attacks because everybody gets attacked and we, we need to be praying for each other, not accusing each other. Do you know, it's so easy that when somebody falls prey to Satan that we want to attack them. Well, yeah, they should have known better. Yeah, they shouldn't have done that. But it could just as easily, easily have been you and me. And yeah, there's, there's justice and there's, you know, things that need to be paid and so forth and results and consequences. But at the same time, we need to be praying for each other, holding each other up. God has told you and me to stand. And that's all. You need to understand the power that you have. And it is all there because of grace. That's all. Because of the grace of God that he has put you in this position of privilege, more so than anybody else in history. I want to close with this one verse, and here it is. James chapter 4, verse 7 says this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's just that simple. And I think sometimes we make it difficult. We think it's difficult, but it's really not. Satan's going to attack 
Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And all I've got to do is take a stand against it based on the authority of God's word, what God has told me, based on my identity. You see, my identity, the thing that God has made me, that he has declared me to be, whether I feel it or even knew it beforehand, it's always been true, but my identity becomes the protection against it. Because when I stand up and claim this, Satan has absolutely nothing that he can use to bring me down. Guys, you have got to begin to believe who you really are in Christ. You've got to understand it. And you need to claim it each and every day. Every time the temptation comes, the thoughts come into your mind, something will come your way. You'll be able to stand on the reality of who you are in Christ and what he's done for you. And stand. That's all God wants, is for you to stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we are humbled by the reality of who you say we are. Father, we are humbled by the reality of that through your grace, you have not only set us free and changed our identity and all of these things, but you have given us victory already over the demonic world. Father, as we go forward in life, I pray that each one of us would change the way we think. That, Father, we'd stand up for what you have told us is true. We would claim who we are. It is our birthright as believers to live this way. And, Father, I pray now for each one of us, each one that is here, that when this attack comes our way, and it will, that we will remember what we've heard here and what we see in Scripture. There, is, there are weapons that we use in our arsenal to stand. And Father, that's what you've called upon us to do, is to stand. And when a Satan has done everything that he can and every lie that he can throw our way, to be left standing strong for you. That's our prayer, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor. You'll notice in your worship guide very quickly here before we're dismissed, two or three things, and especially you ladies, because you're going to be involved in in the ministry this this next week. Uh, The women's ministry will be providing lunch for those in need at Love in Action, So, and you're familiar with what you're doing there, so please be faithful to that. If you're not quite sure about what's going on, maybe you want to be a part of that, or you'd like to donate to it, and just see one of the ladies, if you would, and one of the one of those that are activated, and you can find out the details there. Also, ladies, you notice, <clears throat> still in the announcement. I'm sir, sir. I'm certain that most of you who are going are probably excited about it. Uh, the women's retreat at Woodhaven Cabin Retreat in Edom on the sixth and the seventh. That's next week, the latter part of next week. Uh, you'll have a good time there together. So please. Uh, we'll be praying for you to have a good time. And if you're not familiar with what's going on, you'd like to be a part of it, you can see Elaine, you can see Penny, you can see Deborah, some of those that are active in the women's ministry, and find out the details. may not be too late yet, I'm not sure. All right, looking over here to the the left, we've got two, three, four shoeboxes left over there. And that's about to draw to an end because we're going. To, the collection is going to be November the 15th. We're going to have to have them finished by then. So if you're not uh, not doing a, a shoe box and you'd like to, please go over there and get you a box and fill it out and uh, be a part of that. Okay, Cody, come on, brother. <clears throat> Growth groups tonight. Don't forget six o'clock. Your growth group. I know ours is going to be meeting here at the church. We're having to change location for this evening, but and the rest of you know where you're going to be meeting and what times. Good morning. Uh, one thing uh, that Megan and I are wanting to start um, is prayer buddies for the kids. And so what that means is um, if you want to, I have a card with every kid's um, name on it, and we'll give you one kid and every day we've given kind of ideas to pray for them 
So like Monday is pray for their school week. Tuesday, pray for their friendships. Wednesdays for Awana. Thursdays for their role models that they have in their life. Fridays is for their home. And Saturdays pray for their joy. And then Sundays pray for their spiritual journey. Um, and so on the back we have a little bit more detailed of ideas for you if you need. Um, but we really want our kids to um, feel prayer and um, know that they're being prayed over. And so we have these. If You can put them up in your bathroom as you're brushing your teeth in the morning. Say a quick prayer. Keep it on your dash when you get in your car on the way to work. Say a quick prayer. Um, but I've got right now about 22. There's a few more that I need to add from that came on Wednesday for Awana for the first time and a few more that have been coming. Um, so I've got some now if you want to come and grab one. But if you take one, we ask that you are like, I'm going to dedicate to pray every day for whichever kid I have. Um, and we've been talking about it in Children's Church um, about prayer and the power of prayer and told them today that we're going to have people that are going to start praying over you. Um, and hopefully once we can start opening back up to our normal prayer time again, we could incorporate some of that, you going to pray with them physically um, as well. So, again, if you want that, you can come see me after. I'll be stacking up chairs. All right. One other thing before we're dismissed. Um, in your worship guide, there's an insert in there. It's time to renew and uh, our address book, church address book, and so Take that and read it and fill it out accordingly and drop it by the office. You can put it in the offering box back there or whatever, but take one of those if, if you're part of the Dogwood Church. And This is just an update on it, so we'll try to keep it, everybody abreast of that. Before we dismiss, the pastor's got something else, okay? Marcus, come on up here, bud. This is Marcus Langford. This is Dorothy's oldest son, Dorothy. Um, uh, Marcus went through our new members class a while back and he's decided to make it official. So he is joining the church today. As you know, we bring people up, we present them so that you know that there are members here at the church, but also to encourage you to pray for them. Um, they are part of the family, so you need to uh, not only accept them into the family, but also to Lift them up in prayer. Be committed to them. That's what the church is about, being committed to each other. So I'm going to close in prayer. And then if you would, just come up. And if you don't feel comfortable shaking hands, do a fist bump or wave at him from a distance. But welcome him to the church, okay? And uh, just make him feel welcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to lift up Marcus. Father, I pray for him. I pray for his family, his life, his work, everything about it. Lord, I pray you'd give him strength, lift him up, and just... uh, Give him encouragement. Lord, I pray that as a congregation we can be an encouragement to him. I pray, Father, for his growth and maturity in the Lord and that you would guard him and go with him each and every day. I pray your blessings on him in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, folks, why don't you, uh, you're dismissed. Make your way up here if you would. God bless you, buddy. Thank you.